Welcome to the LaSallian Way Online, a digital series produced by Christian Brothers University's Center for Digital Instruction in Memphis, Tennessee. In each episode, we focus on topics in online education and approach them from the LaSallian tradition. St. John Baptist de LaSalle created a culture of student-centered teaching and learning focused on transforming the whole person. We aspire to follow the LaSallian way online. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the LaSallian Way Online. I am your host, Dr. Dale Hale. I am the the director of the Center for Digital Instruction and the dean of the Global College of Christian Brothers University. Today, I have as my guest one of our our instructional designers, Kyle Perpura. Hey, folks. Uh, We are, are talking about a... Actually, it is a concept and a course. It's a course that Kyle is is in the process of building and wrapping it up, which is really exciting. And it is also a concept that is, it's old, but it is new because of the pandemic. Uh, many institutions instituted this methodology um, very poorly in the initial stages of COVID. Yes. Uh, and in fact, I think we probably did it fairly poorly as well. Because of the, of the, of everything that went on, it was just not a pleasant transition. However, as we have developed, we have all understood that, that this is a methodology that will be here for a very long time. And it is called high flex. It is a, a cross between hybrid and flexible. And in definition, um, it is it is a mix of all modes of of transfer of knowledge. So Kyle, do you have a, a regular definition for it? Yeah, I uh I do. So it's a it's a type of hybrid course that puts students in the driver's seat in terms of making decisions about how to attend and participate in a course. So if if the students are making those basic decisions and they have a choice between face-to-face or online or maybe synchronous online to add a, a third pathway, then we would call that uh, course a some kind of high-flex course. Okay. So if if we're talking it's a hybrid course, does that mean – does that mean it meets irregularly or does it meet regularly? Uh, in high flex course, the answer is both. Okay. Right. So there's, there is a synchronous face to face component. And then there is a parallel online asynchronous component. And students can opt to do one or the other or over the co- course of a, a, a semester can jump between the two. Wow. Okay. So this is going to impact a registrar's office as well as the faculty designing the course, as well as the student who's sitting in the seat wherever their seat is located. Yeah. So, so high flex is not a decision to be, to be made lightly. Um, and I think like a, a good first, um, stop towards making that decision is probably listening to a discussion that you and I are having, <laughs> right? Or uh, uh, 
doing a little bit of reading about about what entails high flex because there are some institutional decisions that have to be made. Um, registrar would be a good one. You know, for example, is this one course that just simply has two tracks in it? Or is this, are these two separate courses and then we register students in both of those courses? Now, obviously, I would like to keep it simple, but I'm not the registrar. So uh, that's just an example of a, a, a question that an institution would have to answer before getting in too deeply into uh, a high flex pilot. Okay. So I mentioned early on when, when we started this, um, that when we moved with COVID, many of our courses were, well, obviously we were all high flex to a point. Um, what goes into Okay, so I said I, I made a judgment. I said some of them were, were poorly made, and some of them were, maybe some were done well. What makes a poorly made high flex course? What uh, does that look like? Well, um, I don't. I, I'm probably going to change the question a little bit, right? Okay. And and hopefully I'll answer it. I think that when we talk about poorly made high flex, I think uh, at the beginning we're probably more talking about a misapplication of the term high flex because I think that what what a trap that many of us when I talk to other instructional designers or faculty about high flex a trap that many of us fall into is that we say well we're just going to record the lecture or record the demonstration and we're going to high flex it right air quotes over high flex and that that makes it high flex it doesn't. It, that just makes it synchronous online. Um, or if we record it, it just means that we have a really long, probably very dry uh, recording that we make available uh, to online students. Um, now, if that's a second track that's occurring in the same course as face-to-face, then we would say, yeah, that's high flex. But that asset, that recorded, let's say, 50-minute, maybe an hour and a half lecture or demonstration doesn't make for great online asynchronous viewing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I would say that part of the answer to your question is that we were misapplying that term and just like turning on the recorder, right? And that doesn't make a course high flex. The second is if, if the course was indeed high flex and had a viable face to face and another viable online learning path that was running parallel with one another in the same course, and we were using those recorded lecture demos as the bulwark of what we offer to our online students, I would say that's that's poor high flex. That's not a lot of intentionality, right? That's turning on the WebEx recorder and then turning it off, which doesn't, doesn't speak to intentionality. One of the key characteristics of a, a high flex course design is this concept of equivalency. And that concerns itself with you. Like if you have your face-to-face track and you're thinking about developing an online track to make your course high flex, what is the equivalent attendance and participation to mirror the face-to-face learning experience for students? Now, let's hope that that wouldn't be a recorded hour and a half or 50 minute, you know, lecture. Let's, Let's hope it wouldn't. So we have to we, we have to think about when we're designing our high flex courses, we have to think about equivalency. 
And we may actually have to back up and think about if, if for example, we started with a face-to-face uh, course, we want to make that a high-flex course. I think we may have to look at some of the pedagogy that we have in our face-to-face course and ask ourselves, is it active enough? Are there, are there active learning uh, assets or activities peppered into my face-to-face course? If the answer is no, then I would say like before we start developing an online equivalent program to be parallel with face-to-face, we might have to um, improve on our face-to-face course and make it more active for the learner before we start to develop an online as as you were describing it, every time I, I I get in this kind of a a frame of reference, I think of Cinderella. So here's here's the image that I get. Do you remember the the handsome prince and his I don't know valet or whatever he was called, his second? They're trying to find Cinderella by carrying that glass slipper mm-hmm. around and trying it on every single female in the in the in the country or at least in that realm so here's the image it, it's kind of based in in disney's description but okay so so he bends down and he takes the woman's foot and he shoves it in <laughs> and the toe fits but none of the rest of the foot mm-hmm. fits and by all means, they're going to get that thing in there. So they shoehorn and they beat and they hold it up like a, like a horse, you know, they, and finally they get it on and then it springs off because yep. it, it's just not made to fit. I think that's what you've just described is what I see when faculty, whatever the subject, whoever they are, what they're trying to do in creating a high flex course by taking what they are already doing and making it fit into this high flex model. Yeah. And what you've just said is, and I love this word, intentionality. It is intentional with designing, not just for the face-to-face, but designing for the distant learner, the one who's not located in the seat right in front of you. Explain a little bit more about, about how the in- intentional design comes about what what is that and and how do you intentionally design for both of these spaces to be used at one time right i think at the forefront of your mind when you're talking about intentionality of course design has to be active learning and so i would start i guess just based on my experience i am an econ person by training and so i'll think back to my my face to face econ class. So intentionality means that I need to design some active learning to go along with my economic demonstrations. So let's just say for example that I'm I'm we're talking about monopoly in a in a basic economics course that's focused on different types of markets. Uh, so I have I have a 10 minute demonstration that I do about a monopoly and how we graphically analyze it. Well I would probably do that at the board. And that would be fine. But after I'm finished with my demonstration, I need an active component to allow the students to kind of cogitate on the information that they've just seen. Some of them may have not been following along with the test. So this is the first time that they've seen it, right? So I can do a couple of strategies. And the first strategy I'm probably going to throw out is I'm going to tell my class, right, you have a minute 
And what I want you to do in your notebooks right now, as soon as I say go, is write down everything that you can remember of the last 10 minutes of my demonstration, right? Ready, set, go. So students are now busily writing in their notebooks, right? And after that's over, I'm going to pick on a few of them or ask for volunteers, depending. Uh, what did you write down? And then based on that, there's probably going to be some misinformation there that I'm going to pick up on. And so we're going to have to correct that in class, right? And then hopefully that'll spark other questions in the class. So suddenly I've just made my dry lecture demonstration into something very active, right? So that's the, in, that's the intentional approach. So I took a strategy there, which I call a minute paper. And I've applied it to my course very intentionally with the idea that um, students are only going to probably get a little bit out of that 10-minute that demonstration. But by the end of the class, what I want them to do is to be able to replicate the graphic analysis of the monopoly that I did. So that's my goal. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's put that aside for a second. So that's attention, intentionality in my face-to-face -face course. In my online course, I have the same goal for that lesson. By the end of the lesson, students are going to be able to graphically analyze a monopoly. Well, what I'm going to do there is I'm going to get out my video. It's about a seven-minute long, right? My seven-minute long video analysis of a monopoly. And I'm going to present that to students. But one of the things I'm going to do is a, I'm going to use a tool in Canvas Studio which take, allows me to take that video, upload the video in Canvas Studio, and add a layer of questions onto it at certain intervals in the video. It actually pauses. Students can't go further until they answer some of the questions, right? And so I'm going to layer that in. The cool thing about that is not only am I turning the video into something active for students, but I'm also getting data. So if I want this quiz to feed directly into the gradebook, I can, right? And there are right answers and there are wrong answers. By the end of that session then, when however students are sitting down and interfacing with that video, right, hopefully they're going to be much further down the road of being able to graphically analyze a, a monopoly. With the online students, they're probably going to have to have another assessment. So either they have a video Maybe over their shoulder where they're actually analyzing and talking it through. Maybe they make an annotated PowerPoint where they explain that. Maybe they write a really, really short paper. At the end of it, again, what we're trying to do on the online is at the end of the lesson or the session, they need to be able to graphically analyze as a monopoly. So I take both of those and they're both in my course. Um, so I'm intentionally planning for the face-to-face -face and making it active with a certain objective, lesson objective in mind. And I'm doing exactly the same thing for the online. But in this case, those are two separate experiences. Okay. Does, does that help? Yeah, it does. So let me throw a little bit of a curveball because you've described synchronous with people in front of you and you've described asynchronous with people that are not in front mm -hmm. of you. What about the synchronous that is not in front of you? Yeah. So you're talking about the synchronous online path. Correct. So um, 
when High Flex was originally developed, and the, the book, by the way, is uh, the hybrid flexible hybrid flexible course design by Dr. Brian Beatty from San Francisco State University. It's a free book, by the way, uh, available on edtechbooks.org. He developed those two paths that I spoke about, the face-to-face -face synchronous path and the asynchronous online path. Other institutions have taken his work and has, have added the third path that you're talking about. What about the synchronous online students? And that's, that's great, provided that you have a couple of things. Number one, you've got a live feed and a live stream, and that's available. Now, it's got to be recorded, but if it's recorded, then we're not talking about synchronous, right? But you also have to have some of those digital assets that I've created for my purely online path, right, available for students. Or I inject some polling, some digital polling to get some to get some activity from those folks that are that are tuning in online. So I've got a plan for them as well. Now, to make it simple for me, I'm just going to plan those two, right? The synchronous face-to-face -face and the asynchronous online. I'm not going to say, hey, it's a high-flex course if I've got synchronous online and I've got synchronous face-to-face. -face. Why not? Well, one of the hallmarks of high-flex is the flex bit. If we only focus on the synchronous, then we've removed a lot of the flexibility that, that students have in terms of how they attend the course. So I would say that if we only have those two paths, the, the two synchronous ones, I would say that that's a version of high flex, but I would argue that it's not a great version of high flex. Okay. So uh, I've, I've heard how you've described this now, and, and I understand the intentionality that is required in designing the course so that it is truly high flex and not just shoehorned into mm -hmm. either model. To me, this sounds like you're actually building two courses. So there is, there are some, there are some costs here that have, that have to come into play before you make a decision to, to do this kind of, of course design. For sure. What, what are you seeing is, is the cost there? Uh, I'm going to start with the two T's, uh, and that's time and training. Uh, so what you're saying, initially is you've got to build out two courses and then merge them into one, which is true. I think with good high flex courses, you have to do that. That takes time. Those things don't materialize overnight, right? So you have to, if you're, if an institution has decided to do that, or even a department or an individual faculty member, they have to give themselves time to be able to develop intentionally those two, those two tracks. I would also argue that you need some training. Many of us would be coming at this because we have a viable face-to-face -face course and need to develop an online, a parallel online to be able to merge that together. If that's true, then we need some training about how to develop online courses. If we already have an online course and don't have a face-to-face -face course, then we may need to do some some training on active learning in a face-to-face -face setting. How do we record demos? You know, what makes a really good, engaging, active class? If you're sort of a lecture demonstrator type, right? And we talked about, we, we would, in that training, we talked about maybe some strategies that I alluded to a little earlier in our discussion. But I think those two pieces are, are pretty critical, time and, and training. The other thing, and we've talked about this earlier in, in this uh, podcast, is I think 
you have to make some administrative decisions. Mm -hmm. Is this one course or two? Uh, does it have a special uh, scheduling designation, you know, for the, for the schedule? Uh, another thing that faculty have to decide is the attendance and participation policies. They have to be very explicit about to students and in their own minds about what constitutes attendance and what constitutes participation. They also have to make a decision about like, uh, when do students decide? Do they decide at the beginning of the week if they're going to attend online or if they're going to attend face to face? Is that session by session? I would argue maybe it minimizes flexibility a little bit. I would say let, let's, let's give students that decision on a week to week basis. If it's a session by session basis, fine, but it's going to add a layer of complexity. And that's, I think, the final cost that I want to talk about. It's that complexity managing this type of multimodal environment. I don't think it's for every student. I don't think it's for every institution. And I don't think it's for every faculty member. So we have to be prepared for that level of complexity and the management of that complexity, mostly in attendance and participation. You know, I, I appreciate what you just said. Uh, it It is not for every faculty member. It is not for every institution and and, and maybe even not for every course. I think mm -hmm. it, it will take careful consideration of what you're doing uh, in the course, what the what the course is designed to do. And and as well, are you as a faculty member prepared for the the amount of time and effort uh, required to pull this off? And and literally, can you can you think on your feet enough to be able to pull this off. Yep. At a previous institution, I had it was not a, a true high flex. It was just multi-site. Mm -hmm. We always had faculty who would only teach to the students that are right in front of them. Yeah. And so they would forget the the students that are away. Well, yeah. I had one faculty that finally get the the message that he needed to be pay attention to the distance student. So you know what he did? He only watched the camera. <laughs> well, in in a way that was odd, but. But believe it or not, it worked because the students who were sitting there in the classroom were watching the screen anyway, and they ah. could see him looking at them. The students at a distance saw him looking at them, and it all, it all worked. So even that kind of consideration, if you're doing a true high flex where you have all three of those modes in operation, you have to pay attention to each one of those. Yes. So... Yeah. And that gets back to the high flex principle of equivalency, right? And also a respect for all learners, which is another uh, aspect of, of high flex, another core principle. Um, if, if you're in a situation, you referred to it at your previous institution where you're privileging a certain segment, whether that be privileging the online students or privileging your face-to-face -face students, you, you probably have a poor high flex situation. So you want to we want to be very intentional about creating a learning experience that is equivalent and respects all learners. Boy, you just you just threw me a softball there. I, I can't <laughs> I can't miss that one. That sounds very Lasallian in nature. Yes. So after having done a lot of research and a lot of reading in different case studies of institutions that have adopted high flex, I would say for LaSallean institutions, there is a great degree of overlap between the core values associated with high flex and the high flex model and the core values of uh, LaSallean institutions. Respect for the learner, critical. Accessibility, 
which is a core value of both Lasallian institutions and HyFlex. And in, high, in the HyFlex world, when we talk about accessibility, we're not just talking about uh, designing a course so that uh, people that have hearing difficulties or visual difficulties uh, can access the course. We actually go deeper than that. We ask ourselves the questions. So have the students who are taking the high flex and particularly the online path, do they have the training? Do they have the hardware? Do they have the software capabilities to be able to completely access the course? And if they don't, then what are we prepared to do to make sure that they have that training, that they have that hardware, those software capabilities? Um, so that's it's talking about accessibility in a very deep way, not just a, a surface way. We also want to make sure that it, kind of along the lines of accessibility that um, our courses are inclusive, which is that's a, a Lasallian tradition. I guess the big goal, Lasallian and High Flex, is to make sure that students, however they're accessing the course, however they're attending the course, are getting a quality, active, authentic education. And so, like, I think with those kind of three pillars that I just mentioned, there's a pretty high degree of overlap. So I would, I would argue that HyFlex seems to be a good fit for educators in Lasallian institutions and maybe for the institutions themselves. Now, there, there is another cost, and I, I, I truly do not want to go down this road too far at all, and it's the cost of equipment. Oh, yeah. So th there is a cost in well, there's training with understanding the software that you would need to use to do the, the transmission. There's the hardware of microphones and cameras and those pieces that would have to have to come into question, especially if you're talking about a high flex course in a physical classroom on a campus. Someone somewhere is going to have to have a consideration about how you equip that room to truly do mm -hmm. that kind of a course. Yeah. And that's probably outside of a realm of what a faculty can control. Agreed. Uh, I, I think that there are, there are definitely those kinds of those hardware and software costs. But even backing up from what you're talking about, some high-tech equipment, kitting out a, a classroom, we have to make sure that we have a robust learning management system and an LMS. And not all institutions are, are prepared, you know, for that outlay. Or, or maybe they're using, uh, you know, uh, an older – LMS like Moodle, for example, which is okay, but isn't something like what we have at Christian Brothers, which is which is Canvas and LMS and training for students and faculty. So I think that you're absolutely right. There are there are some significant budgetary outlays uh, that need to be settled before an institution would commit wholly to HyFlex. We've just taken a few moments to outline the costs of doing a high flex type course. And and truly, a person is going to have to make those considerations, not off the cuff, but seriously sit down and, and think about, do I really have the time, the energy, the mental capacity, whatever? Do I Can I do this mm -hmm. kind of a course? It's not to be taken lightly. But then there are some benefits that, that you have outlined for us to consider. So that may tilt us toward doing a, a high flex. In fact, I think you have spoken to me about this just recently, about, about the shift you have made personally in going in, in standing against it to begin with and now seeing the, the huge benefit to it. Yeah. And I have to say, at the beginning of the pandemic, when 
we first as a team started talking about high flex and you know we had these conversations i was incredibly skeptical um if i were to be back in the classroom now knowing what i know now i think i would lobby my institution to to let me do a pilot at least and you know why is that um i think one of the key benefits of high flex done well is it al allows your students flexibility in terms of attendance and participation. And if we're talking about, and let's face it, we live in a society now where students, most of them are working part-time, sometimes even full-time. I think that there's a premium placed on flexibility. Some of them are caring for family members in their own homes. So I think that that's a real key. And I think if a program is done well at an institution and it can reach out to those students, then I think that there's an opportunity to grow enrollment. Now, that's an institutional benefit, right? We also, I would argue, we have a faculty benefit. Let's just say that you and I are faculty members and we are convinced. We've read Beatty's book. We want to do this and we lobby our institution to say, let's pilot the course. Institution says, Dale, Kyle, go ahead. Let go for it. One of the things that you and I are going to do is we're going to go back to the drawing board of our courses. And we're going to take a really hard, sober look at our SLOs and probably strip some things away, add things to it. But let's talk about that for a second, right? That evaluation or reevaluation, reassessment of our existing course is really valuable and a valuable exercise in and of itself. If we do it well, then what it means is that we are intentionally redesigning, reconfiguring our face-to-face -face environment. We're engineering an online environment and maybe sometimes tweaking a little bit those SLOs so that they make sure that they cover students that are approaching the content of our course from an online perspective. And then we're merging those two intentionally together. So what we end up with is a really quality experience and a real quality course. I would argue that that is that's one of the one of the biggest benefits. There's a, there's a couple of other key benefits too, and this is this is going to seem odd, but it can maximize the emphasis that faculty place on attendance. And we all know, right? Attending a course uh, is one of the strongest indicators of how successful that we're going to be in that course, right? If we show up, we tend to be successful. If we don't show up, we tend not to be successful, right? It's a, and it's it's a strong correlation. And it's been studied ad nauseum, right? Well, if you're giving students the flexibility and you're clearly defining for students what attendance constitutes in the online environment, then you're actually maximizing students being able to attend your course. So I think that that's kind of interesting. So I think at the, at the outset of this, I was skeptical about attending a high flex course. And I, I'm a believer now, uh, a firm believer. The last thing is that it is possible with existing resources, facility resources and faculty resources, provided that you have time and training, to service an increased number of students with your existing resources. And that should excite institutions. It should excite uh, motivated faculty. And it should excite the community and the individual student. So I think there's, there's, in my opinion, exciting prospects about high flex. That's great. And I, I like the, the benefits that you've outlined. That's wonderful. Uh, however, that last point, I can hear some faculty groaning. So that means 
That means more testing. That means more grading. That means more of the things that I don't like to do. And I think the answer is, yeah, it does. Yes. You're going to be serving, though, more students in a way that, that will increase their ability to understand and get a quality, high quality education. I, I agree. And I, I guess I would probably uh, push back subtly on an aspect of what you were saying. So remember earlier, you and I were talking about uh, taking on the challenge of designing a course, right? And you and I being the educators that we are, we know we're going to go back to the drawing board. And I talked a little bit about like making the course more efficient and winnowing things away. So when you say there's going to be more grading, yeah, probably. Like in the in the aggregate, there probably is, right? But if we truly design an intentional high flex course and we either start with an online course, a face-to-face course, we're prop chances are we're probably going to winnow some some of that course material down a little bit so that I'm just down to the efficient material and content that has a direct correlation with the SLO. So yeah, there's probably going to be more, but vastly more, I don't know. We've we've talked about uh, integrity uh, in the online environment and how we help students be more efficient in their use and and how we we can be more assured that the person taking the test is is the one. So protecting all of that is essential to an online class. But I think one of the things that you've recently said, you and and Tyler and Chantel, is that if you design the course so that the students are interacting maybe in a quiz, but the quiz is is either low stakes yep. or no stakes. Maybe. Um, it's contributing to their understanding. At the same time, it's getting them involved in the in the content without fear of that massive test at the end that will fail them if they if they fail that test. Yep. So, yeah. So lowering. I hear what you're saying. Pulling out some of those things. Actually, you may just change some of those things from being high weight to low weight, yep. but they're teaching moments. Yep. They're formative instead of summative. Right. If you're also then taking the opportunity to build in more instances of student reflection and counting those instances towards the grade, right. then yes, I guess it's more grading. I mean, I, I guess so at, at some point, but boy, is it a lot more authentic. And I think students are going to enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. And actually, and you as a faculty member will have a lot more fun. I know when I when I've had students that were engaged, it just it's exciting. It it's is fun to do. It is. You feed off the energy, and it's wonderful. So tell me, we need to wrap this up. Where can faculty who are interested in HyFlex where where can they get more information about this? Right, you have two different ways. I do, and so for our non Christian Brothers listeners, uh, the book is by Dr. Brian Beatty. It's called Hybrid Flexible Course Design, and it's available, Dale, free of charge Woo-hoo! Uh, through uh, edtechbooks.org. So you can search for uh, Dr. Brian Beatty. He's at San Francisco State University. He's been doing HyFlex for almost 15 years uh, with good success at, at uh, San Francisco State. Is there any place that we can 
put this link so that they can get to it? Yep. Well, we'll put it in the notes of, of the podcast okay. uh, down there. And so uh, for my for our non-Christian Brothers listeners, I would say strongly recommend the book. Very easy to read, very accessible, packed with case studies, good practical information from faculty members at different institutions around the world that have implemented High Flex. Uh, for our CBU listeners, I'm going to be leading a four-week seminar on high flex course design, which starts on July 11th and ends on August 7th. And I will put in the course uh, in the podcast description here, the link to sign up for that or contact me for more information if you're interested. All right. Very good. So uh, the high flex model is a, is a great option for faculty to rebuild, redesign, and then engage with more students in a much more efficient method, uh, in a way that will not only utilize the technology that's in front of us, but also reach beyond the four walls of a physical classroom where we currently stand today. So this concludes this episode of the LaSallian Way Online. We thank you for joining us and appreciate any feedback and uh, your time in listening to this. So for the Center for Digital Instruction with Christian Brothers University, I'm Dale Hale, signing off.